Hey everyone, welcome to Reality TV Rehap Ups for Episode 9 of Season 7 of The Amazing Race Canada. And we are so ready to get started here, uh, talking all things in Thunder Bay, Ontario. And with me as always is Dan Heaton, and my name is Jessica Lease. How are you doing, Dan? Oh, there's some good puns there, the Jess. That was, that was nice. Um, I'm doing okay. You know, it's it was a, an interesting episode, a little surprising for me. And, you know, we're seeing some teams, you know, step forward and seem like they're on the way to win. And I don't think it's going to happen, but it's an interesting week. I wouldn't say the best I've ever seen in terms of the the race, but, but it was something. Yeah. I mean, on a scale of trampoline park to rotary park, where are you going to put this leg? Well, wackies, I feel like, is going to be something that gets brought up a lot for oh. me in the future. I have like 20 minutes of material on wackies. That may be our weirder Canadian for the week. But before we get into talking about all of the things that happened on this episode of The Amazing Race Canada, we really wanted to take a moment to honor a former cast member of The Amazing Race Canada. We heard the tragic news uh, this week that Kenneth McAlpine, who uh, participated in season five of The Amazing Race Canada, one half of Team Giver, has uh, passed away in a tragic hiking accident. And we just wanted to extend our sympathy to his family and to The Amazing Race community. Uh, because that is definitely a great loss. Yeah, and he was he was very young, and they brought a really cool energy, I thought, to the race. And it was one of those things where at first they had so much energy with all the giver and everything that I was a bit taken aback. But I found as I watched them, they were in the whole season. They the few interactions I had with them online, you know, they he seemed like cool people, like really nice people that had the had a good attitude about life. So it was really sad to hear that news this week because you know. One thing of them being on the show, but just as people, they he, um, Kenneth seemed to be a really cool guy. Their energy was very genuine. I felt like the enthusiasm they brought to the race was really impossible to fake. And, you know, they really embodied the spirit of giver with everything they did. And so we're really sad to hear about that. And it's actually it's going to be hard to switch gears now and and talk about the Amazing Race Canada episode, because I think it's a very lighthearted episode. And we have a lot of things to talk about, but we're very sorry to hear about the loss of Kenneth. And he was a great guy. Yeah. And it's just it's crazy to think about, you know, and how it happened. I mean, you know, he was climbing and doing something that it sounded like the, the type of thing that they love to do. But regardless, it's the sad loss. And yeah, I know we're, we're going to probably have some silliness and some laughs, but we also enjoyed that when they were on the show, we had a lot of laughs and that brought the giver count and everything. So I feel like it is kind of appropriate to talk about the episode and have some enjoyment in that way, because they brought a lot of silliness to the show just with um, the personality that Kenneth had and Ryan too. This is an appropriate week to talk about personalities on this race, because I feel like there's a little bit of the giver spirit in everybody this week. A lot of enthusiasm, a lot of fun. Yeah. And like I said last week, we got down to the final five and I was just like the mix of teams, I feel like was setting us up for as nothing, if nothing else, some fun because you have teams that approach the race so differently. Like every team has kind of their own way they do it. And as we saw, you know, some of them had great success and some of them had challenges and it'll be interesting thinking, looking ahead to how we think these teams are going to do. But yeah, so they started out and just beyond the international legs, like if we really add up all the transportation time over the last two weeks, because that train ride had to be long, then they rode a 17 hour bus ride. I mean, we're talking about some serious mileage. I'm surprised the teams could even remember their name at this point. Well, and this is a very classic U.S. Amazing Race thing. Like This was something they did in the first seven or eight seasons fairly often was instead of getting on a flight, which would be the most logical thing. No, you got to get on a plane and go over. You got to get on a train and go over land. And it really does take a lot out of you to be traveling for that long. So I think it's a great addition. And I appreciate seeing more ways of traveling, especially since in these latter days of the amazing race, we see so much less airport drama. And when the flights are spoon fed to you, you don't have room for that kind of interaction. 
So putting people on alternate modes of transportation really gives you that option in a new way. Yeah. And I mean, they were all on the same train at the start, but still you have that amount of time. Plus they all just basically are like, okay, you have to keep racing. And at that point, most of them looked exhausted already. And then it's like, okay, you're going to get on this train and go for that long. And it's, well, actually first you're going to drive to Quebec city. Then you're going to board it train and then you're going to go for a while and then do a task and I'm sure they got some sleep but at this point I'm sh- you're almost too wired from what I could tell from what even for me when I'm just traveling without the Amazing Race Canada happening something like this would be a real problem so it was quite a start you know and we got another John Rip and Reed there you know really thank you show for really just getting as many of those in there as we can but we got rolling and we went to the ROM which I don't know if this task was that exciting, but I want to go there, Justin. I know you've been there, right? I was actually this week last year. I was there for my birthday and it is a great museum. They just have a little bit of everything in there and it's all so well done and it's just massive. It's such a great collection. And yeah, okay, they were a sponsor this week. And so there was some incentive there to make it look good, but it is spectacular. And I think the show did a good job of showcasing it in a way that we're getting so little of this kind of unique Canada culture this season. I really feel like a lot of the things we've seen the racers do could be done anywhere in the world, let alone anywhere in Canada. So when they get something that's very, it's a very unique, special feature of the area, I like that. And so I like getting to revisit that museum. And I think the scavenger hunt task I feel like they give kids a similar thing to do when they visit the museum. I feel like a lot of this stuff was probably already curated and organized because I think you can literally do that same scavenger hunt with your kids. But it was all right. It was kind of a mixer upper. I think if everybody had left in the exact same order in which they got there, I would be much less high on this task. But real moments of uniquely Canadian things are so few and far between this season that I can't be mad at this task. No. And the one thing, if they had just had to find the 10 things and then go, they would have, I mean, there wasn't that much to it, but because at least they, I mean, this sounds, sounds like kind of very mild praise. But at least they had to get out some stampers and put together and stamp something. But you did see there were multiple teams. Arthia Thinesh, likely due to being tired, were having a really hard time with it. Lauren and Joanne were there for a while um, trying to figure it out. So, you know, I mean, David Arena being awesome at life, basically just rocked through this. But hey, to their credit, you could see teams like, you know, were mentally were just kind of struggling to figure out how to put these words together. So the fact that they did it quickly, I don't mean, I don't mean to joke at it, but yeah, it was mostly about the stamping. I mean, I think the most interesting thing here beyond the museum being so gorgeous was we had some interesting moments with Sarah and Sam here where first we had something where they weren't communicating. And we saw Sam say, you're not communicating and she was running off. And I think that was mostly a setup for then her, you know, Arthi was like, Hey guys, we like you. Can you give us the answer? And Sarah's like, sure. What do you think about that? I mean, I think again, like she said, it was a split second thing. She wasn't even thinking, but and it didn't make a huge difference, but um, it was an interesting moment. It was a very interesting moment. And I think it's also they could have made so much out of this if the editors had chosen to. You could definitely have seen them really blowing this up in a big way if they wanted to portray Sarah and Sam a certain way. And I think this is testament to the kind of really awesome edit Sarah and Sam are getting. I feel like they're getting a winner's edit. And part of the reason is that we only saw the very basic moments of this. We saw Sarah wandering one direction. We get a little touch of the dodo music as Sam is like, communicate with me, don't run off. But it's over quickly. You could have stretched that out for five minutes if they were the villain teams. You can make them into the villain teams if you wanted. Um, and then we get to the point where Sarah gives the answer to Arthi. And I think this is really exactly how it played out is uh, I think what actually happened is exactly what we saw. And I think that in the moment, it's just like, oh, these people are our friends. And certainly if certain other teams had been there, they probably wouldn't have blurted it out like that. But I get it. It was it was an honest mistake. It was simply knowing the struggle and feeling like you're kind of in it together, even when you're supposed to be competing against each other. Yeah. And really, this is now, I think, the fourth time 
on this race. We've seen them help another team or work with another team in some ways. Several times with Lauren and Joanne. There was another time where they helped Megan and Marie. We had this. And then we have, and I'm jumping way ahead, but I think this does relate. Arthi and Thinesh at the end, Arthi gives this kind of statement about how they played with integrity and all that. And I'm like, well, that's a really weird thing to put at the end. It was very odd the way it was presented. But when you're talking about winner's edits for a team like Sarah and Sam, and you contrast that with how Dave and Arena are being presented, I think you can make a case that the show is going to bring those two teams to the end. And then they can make the point that, hey, I don't want to oversell it, but hey, the team that helped a bunch of people and had this integrity is the team that won. I think we could see that. Now, granted, you could make the argument. Anthony and James have had moments like this, too. Even Lauren and Joanne at times. But Sarah and Sam have the strongest edit if you're going to have that be the point. I totally get it. They're putting a white hat on Sam and Sarah (laughs) to contrast with the black hat of Dave and Arena, who, you know, copy off of other people's boards, which, you know, legal, but unsporting, according to segments of the viewing public. And it's really, it's definitely adding into a narrative that I think feels like the, it feels like the right one at this point. I I called Sam and Sarah as my winners at the beginning of the season and I'm sticking by it. I think, I think it's what we're headed for. And I think they remind me a lot of another team that ended up winning the race in season 23 of Amazing Race US. They remind me quite a bit of Jason and Amy, actually, because they have about the same level of knowledge of each other. Jason and Amy were a newly dating couple. They had been together, I think, for nine months at this point. Um, Sam and Sarah, obviously not dating, but, you know, quote unquote friends who run track together and may or may not have ever hung out by themselves before they went on the race. Uh, and you see that kind of communication breakdown happening occasionally. And then you also see this impulse that they're kind of at summer camp together and making friends and helping other teams sometimes at what almost appears to be the expense of themselves. Right. That's a really good connection because, yeah, we haven't seen even here. It was really early on in the leg. But, you know, and also, too, I think. It is important, though, that we do see them kind of, I wouldn't even say bickering, but having disagreements because that also, and not to just keep going on, but that also plays into sometimes you want to see your team face some adversity. This is a team that has never finished below fifth. This is a team that really, and that I believe that was the leg where they, the um, Aurora Geosciences leg, I think. Mm-hmm. And even so, beyond that, they've been fourth, second, or first every time. So they haven't faced, they faced some adversity. But it's not like they're, it's not Lauren and Joanne who seem to be the second last team almost every single time. And so it's a it's different or even for even Anthony and James, you know, it's it, we have to have ways to show that they've struggled through something. And granted, I was called I thought Arthur and Thinesh had an edit that was similar about three weeks ago. So things can change, but we've only got two weeks left after this. So we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I have two more things I want to call out about this ROM task. The first thing happened on the train to Toronto, and I thought this was just a moment of the of the cameraman and the editors working together to really make fun of Dave in a really funny way. They, he and Arena are sitting on the train talking about what they're going to be doing, and Dave says, I'm not really familiar with the Royal Ontario Museum. I don't really know what to expect. And then the camera slowly pans up to the wall behind Dave's head where there is a large framed photograph of the very museum he's talking about. (laughs) It's not like he said, I don't know what this museum is or how will I know how to find the museum? But it was still a really funny moment. Uh, It's like, oh, that museum. That's the one. Oh, and I lied. There's three things. The second thing is this cab ride to the museum was really overblown. This is a part of Toronto that, again, I've been to. And where they drop them off at the train station is blocks from the museum. They could practically walk there in 20 minutes. And the cab ride couldn't have taken more than 10 in rush hour traffic. And so they're kind of creeping through the city. And that was very overblown because there's no way that anybody would have sat there for hours thinking, oh, my God, my race is screwed. So nice try, but I'm not buying it. Um And the third thing, Anthony and James and their multiple attempts to figure out this very on the surface, easy seeming puzzle. They had all of these letter combinations they were stamping out onto the paper. And one of the things they were thinking about guessing was ABBA. (laughs) 
It's like, that would be a great task. I would love to see it. Maybe they think they're flying to Sweden. I don't know. But I thought that was hilarious. And I made me wish that there was an Ava task this late. Well, it can be like, you know, in, in Amazing Race 29, when they went to Freddie Mercury's house and the one team thought they were going to this place with a bunch of rocks because the house had been destroyed. So, you know, maybe it can be on that level, basically. Something like that, because you know that if Amazing Race US can't get the budget for the original music, Amazing Race Canada definitely isn't. (laughs) No, no. Give it all the um, attention to Cliff Bars, which I had a Cliff Bar this week at a work conference. I wanted to take a picture, but then I thought, it might be weird to be taking a picture of a cliff bar with 100 people standing around me. But I should mention that just because, again, we saw I was thinking about this. So they take this bus ride right after this. And we'll, I, we'll get a, there's probably a little more to talk about there. Did they just eat the cliff bars or was do you think there was other food or did they just all eat like 10 cliff bars on that bus ride? Well, the thing I always think back to uh, is stories of the early seasons of the show, The Biggest Loser where they had all this product placement and they'd be like, Jenny O Turkey is going to help me lose weight. Or, you know, I'm going to drink this milk because the U.S. Dairy Board told me to. And apparently after the cameras were switched off, the trainers would just slap it out of their hands and say, no, you have to eat lettuce and water. And I feel like maybe sometimes they go to get the cliff bars and they're like, no, 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 these are prop cliff bars. You can't actually have them. <laughs> they're 10 years old. <laughs> There's, you don't want to know what's in there. We They're only bad. got one box of Cliff Bars and it has to last us the whole season. So you have to put them back so we can use them the next time. <laughs> yeah. So Prav, that may be the case. I mean, we did see one moment when someone was eating one in an earlier uh, leg. But actually, Sarah and Sam, I think, are the only ones who we've actually seen eating the Cliff Bars. But maybe they were, you know, just having fine dining on the, on the bus. That was that was what we don't see on the show. But I'm jumping ahead. I guess we did have a situation where the bus everyone see I was confused at first. At first I thought they were all on their own buses and I thought that was kind of weird. That's a waste of fuel. Yes, exactly. But no, they were all on the same bus. They just released them 5 minutes later, which I think actually probably released them after each one. They they go to the Terry Fox monument and um and you know, nice moment where the each one reads the plaque on the monument and we get to see a shot of Terry Fox, which um I think was a cool moment and kind of fits with more what you kind of mentioned. We used to have, I feel like, more of almost every leg we would have things like this really connecting to Canada. Well, Dan, I think we gotta back up here. We gotta talk about happy faces and sad faces. Oh I'm gonna gosh. have a sad face <laughs> if we don't talk about the happy face and the sad faces. Sorry, Terry Fox. We'll get to you in a minute. Yeah, we'll we'll have an appropriate sad face for Terry Fox after we have some happy yeah. faces over arena's artistic addition to the sign-up board well first dave dave is like i will say we could say what we want about dave he's a great reality tv character yes because they get to the board and there is more boston rob in him that i'm seeing that i thought at first but they get to the board and of course he's like let's write um again on there and then of course she draws the smiley faces but he's really the driver here i feel like and to me there are things they've done where i'm like oh the arrogance this is just them being silly. I know it can make teams feel bad, but this doesn't bother me that much, something like this. I mean, what do you think about this? I found this to be kind of pretty benign. This was so Boston, Rob, and you're absolutely right, because the only leg I could think of the entire time, and I think the comparisons are very apt because I'm thinking back to season seven when they had that very long bus ride between Chile and Argentina. And I believe there were some similar Boston, Rob-esque shenanigans at the bus counter for that. and. So I feel like the comparisons are inevitable. And this is absolutely the kind of thing that they do just to get under everybody's skin just a little bit. And I felt like Dave was very Boston Rob, this whole leg, which makes me like him more. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Boston Rob on Survivor, but damn if I don't like him on Amazing Race. And I think this was all of the best kind of villainy and the kinds of things that make the show interesting. And I could go on for a long time about Dave and Arena and the pros and cons of having a team like this. I think you and I, we've discussed this before on and off the air that we're fairly Dave and Arena agnostic most of the time. I don't think I'm, I don't have a hate on for them. I'm not rooting for them to win necessarily. I think they are very good at bringing what they bring and they have brought it and they've utilized it very well. And this is maybe the defining Arena moment because I think she is kidding on the surface, but she's not as kidding as she thinks she is. She's like, I'm happy and they're all sad. And this is 
very funny, but it's also like she kind of really feels that way. Well, yeah, yeah, because we've we've called this before. We're in a situation. It's like yes, on the surface, this is kind of a fun little moment, and then people teams come up and they're they're you know rewriting it to put a smiley face the other teams and all that, and it's like ah, oh. but really there is something there as we've seen just, you know, one sense they're great characters, but in another sense, they do really believe that they're on a different platform. This is really who they are. Yeah. They've won four legs. That's impressive. I mean, Arthi and Thinesh have won, they won three and others have won legs and such, but that's not really, you know, that's just kind of part of it. But really the thing is I noticed last week, I really, we talked about how, I felt like we saw all different sides of them. They were presented well They in this way where you could almost root for their success. And I'm not saying it was the opposite this week, but I feel like the editors kind of turned on them this week a bit, where then all of a sudden, I mean, not completely. Again, a lot of it was Boston Rob S. But if you remember in season seven, they like Boston Rob, what he did is he actually paid the bus driver to not open the back door. Yep. So then like they got out and and, and it was presented kind of as, both a smart and kind of a mean move. And the fact is that season though, in a sense did set them up for failure, even though they weren't presented this exact same way. Cause it wasn't like Canada, they were set up to get to the very end and not make it. And so I think we're starting to, again, it's like weird. Like we get, a little step back and now we're really getting that push and even things like these smiley faces in one sense it's a fun moment in another sense it's a way for the editors to show a bit of arrogance there or to set us up for later no 100 percent. that's what's happening here i think nobody could look at this moment and say oh there's your winner <laughs> i wouldn't think so but every time i think no way and then i'm like well they are doing really well but lots of teams have done very well I mean, Colin and Christie 1.0 and don't win at the end. So you got to the Amazing Race Canada. I mean, with the exception of the Tims, which was kind of like, I think they were still finding their way as editors with all the other seasons. Well, not really Gino and Jesse either. With all of the other seasons, we've had a pretty friendly edit to the winner, especially in the last three seasons. I feel like that's grown as the show has gone on. Yeah, but then again, I said that given the edit they were getting, there's no possible way Jess and Cody would win. And they won season 30. So that's a thing. Yeah, that is true. So um, <laughs> I guess we'll see. But um, but yes, smiley faces, sad faces. This this is enough to rile up some list, some listeners and viewers. So and I think it's done. And I think they know what they're doing. So um, are we ready to move on to a very different type of scene? Yes, let's move on. We're leaving Toronto and we're pulling into Thunder Bay and we're going to pay a visit to Terry Fox. And here's something interesting, Dan. One of the reactions, and I don't like to get too meta, or I don't like to get too boards on boards, as they used to say in the Television Without Pity days, but I noticed across the various internet forums where I read commentary on on the show, a lot of people were saying, wow, that's amazing that Canada hasn't done anything with this Terry Fox memorial before. And it turns out, we actually, this is the third season that's had a strong Terry Fox component. And we, as... Americans probably do not really understand Terry Fox in a way that any Canadian would. He's really a he's a national hero. Everyone in Canada knows his story and almost every Canadian I know has done a Terry Fox run at some point. Yeah, and I think I I know this story but not yeah, not on the same level. I believe there you know there was a special a TV special or something about it that I saw when I was younger. But you're right. They did actually do something in Amazing Race Canada season 1 involving Terry Fox where they went to a memorial site in St. John's. They went to two actually. And I Wow. I can't remember where the second one was, but they had to they had to read a quote on the one in St. John's and then they had to go to the other memorial and recite the rest of the yeah, it was pretty late in the race, too. I remember that now. Yeah. So it is there was definitely I mean, it made sense. First season, you're going to find a way to incorporate Terry Fox into the first season. But to have it here, it's, you know, it's a way because really, honestly, the rest of the leg did not really have a lot of things that were tied very well to Canada. So this was the big moment that connected more to the idea of making Canada proud. Yeah, I think between the ROM and this, 
it felt like a very Canadian episode, which was badly needed. Yeah. And then, <laughs> especially since the next thing is like, okay, now that you've had this somber moment of memorializing a national hero who died of cancer, go get some gas at the Shell gas station. <laughs> Which to me, might this might be the worst thing that's ever happened on the show. I mean, I don't mean, I mean, in terms of product placement, not in terms of activity. I mean, they went to Shell earlier and they got the family thing. And I went, oh, that's kind of odd. They did that at the Shell station. This time they kind of even made it like a task. Go get gas and make sure you use the special premium gas. Jess, I was watching it. I'm like, is this really happening on the show? Yeah, this is like some straight up Amazing Race family edition sadness. Uh, and, you know, you can do something fun around a gas station, like put an actual task there. I don't care. We've had Dairy Queen tasks where you had to make a blizzard. and you've We've had Dempster's tasks where you have to dress up in an apron and make a food that may or may not be something people really eat. And yet all that Shell comes up with for their brand recognition moment is get some gas. Come on, Shell. Like Petro Canada had this nailed. Go into Petro Canada and like spend 250,000 Petro points or whatever those were. That was fun. That was actually, it was, there's, it was like supermarket sweepy. I felt really invested in it. And this, like, it's all about the gas. And they just like have this tunnel vision on, well, what do we do at the gas station? We get gas. Think outside the box, Shell. Come on. Yeah, I mean, really, make them wash a car. I mean, make them do a math task. I don't make them do anything. Give them something like they have to learn something about the history of gasoline. I don't know. I'd probably complain about that, too. But still, <laughs> it's like this. I mean, I know it was only a few minutes, but we did have a moment where you actually have David Arena because they're the first one. So they get to be the one who has to be shown more like the team that always, you know, BMO always had to help. But they basically come up and it's like yeah, Dave going like, "Ooh, premium stuff or whatever. And then I had this thought, like, what happens if they put in the wrong stuff? Like, what if they just put in the regular? Is that on is obviously the car would still work. But would that be like they have to get a penalty for that if they use the wrong gas? They might make you do it again. They might make you at least shoot a pickup where you're putting the right nozzle in the slot. I, I think they definitely would, but I, I don't think you'd get penalized, but it does kind of raise those um, those happy memories of the time everybody put uh, unleaded fuel in their diesel tanks. Yeah, and that's about it. That's what I was thinking of. I was like, I just I couldn't. Really, I mean, again, I know they need to sell Shell. And maybe they have them pick up some. I mean, I guess they get there and then they get sent after they get sent to the face off. Oh, the face off. But, you know, it's um, <laughs> it's just so strange. Like even my daughter who looked at me is like laughed and was like, they're really just going to have them get gas. I was like, yep, that's what they're doing. <laughs> this is where we are right now. Yeah, well, I guess if it's keeping the lights on at Amazing Race Canada, we can't complain too much. Yeah. And again, it was only a couple minutes of the show. So I don't want and I almost don't want to feed into the kind of criticisms to be like, well, this was this whole episode was terrible because they got gas. No, it was more just kind of a head scratcher. Like, really? OK, <laughs> but, you know, I think we've probably spent more time than the show did on this already because let's go to wackies. Yeah, I, I do feel like we spend more time discussing things on the show than they actually happen in real time should be the tagline of Rob as a podcast for every show we cover. But yes. Let us move on to wackies. And with this, I think it's time for our weekly installment of Weird or Canadian. Weird or Canadian, eh? Okay, Dan. So, Wackies is a small chain of arcades, not unlike the American Dave and Buster's where there are many video games and other carnival-esque attractions, and also you can get drinks and, I would assume, nachos or poutine or whatever they serve as bar snacks in Canada. And I would expect to find an air hockey table. I would expect to find a table hockey table. Why is there a whole friggin' axe-throwing booth <laughs> in an arcade? What is up with that? Now, I have seen bars. Uh, especially out in Brooklyn, there are numerous bars that have an axe throwing component, but that is built into the concept. Like that is like they have the whole thing decorated like a Viking drinking hall and the axe throwing thing is very, very separate. 
from every other bar game in the bar. And this, it's like you turn a corner. There's the ski ball. There's the racing machine. There's Sugar Rush. There's Wreck-It Ralph. And there is the throwing a real axe that could really kill someone if you really hit them with it. Is this weird or wacky, I guess? Or is this a thing that really happens in Canada, Dan? I ask you. Well, there is. I don't know if this is related, but there is a group called the Northern Experts who do <laughs> axe throwing experiences and leagues in Sudbury, North Bay and wait for it, Thunder Bay. And I'm looking at this and there are a lot of kids holding axes in the picture, which is very strange. <laughs> I do look at, I mean, there's like some pictures of this and the, the targets and everything. They look very similar. So I'm not sure like, you know, that it's, exa- I don't want to speak to say this is what it is, but I wonder if inside this, there's kind of like a little corner, like you said, that's more for the axe throwing part. And that's more of an, a, 12 and over type thing. I mean, I wouldn't let my daughters 10 go do that, but yeah, it was, it was very odd, but I did kind of look at that and go, well, this is what makes it different than where places I would go in town. Cause there are tons of places like Dave and Buster's or your, you know, bounce, bounce places <laughs> that are almost like that bounce, bounce places, you know, trampoline parks. Yes. But uh, <laughs> well, in St. Louis, you have a really amazing barbecue joint inside a shooting range. So there's that. I've never been there, but I don't, even though it's like five minutes from my house. Um, but basically, yeah, I think I would call this both weird and Canadian in a way, just because I saw it and not, and this is nothing against anyone in Canada. But I will say axe throwing in a family fun center, not just in Canada, but seems more likely. It didn't seem as crazy as maybe somewhere else. All right. I think I think that's fair. And also, you know, Americans do a lot of dangerous stuff, too. It just feels like there's something very Super Dave Osborne about this whole axe throwing component of an arcade. But let's talk about the actual face-off task here, because there's a lot of really fun things that happened here. And first off, I've got to know, Dan, what do you think of this new face-off component where the teams get to kind of pick their poison? I like it. I think it's good because, one, it introduces more variability. We're not just watching teams play the same thing over and over. Um, and, you know, you even though it did happen when they did the cooking, in general, it should eliminate the, the idea that everyone's going to go through an order, which we did not see in this one. Um, but it just makes for something, it gives a little strategy, but doesn't seem unfair. And there is still a benefit to getting there first. I mean, in this particular one, I it wasn't that thrilling to watch people play air hockey. I would have liked to have seen the table hockey just for some difference. But just overall, that change, I think, makes the face-off a little more interesting where you don't, especially when you do the face-off with like eight teams or something, it can get a little old to see the same thing a bunch of times. Yeah, well, newsflash, Dan, nobody ever likes watching other people play air hockey. <laughs> it was just, that's why they had to have John do the announcing. Exactly. The most awkward thing, most awkwardly, wonderfully, terribly thing. Oh, my goodness. The most <laughs> awkward, wonderful terrible thing i've ever heard because in one sense i found it totally john totally dorky totally just what we would expect but in another sense i was very confused by the whole thing because it almost made the whole thing seem kind of fake so that made it harder yeah it really did and i never thought anybody would make phil kogan sound like he's good at announcing things but man john i i guess i feel I'm excited for his children who will then get to grow up like going to arcades and having him announce their matches. But yeah, this was it's not something I expect out of my television shows. (laughs) It was so weird. And okay, so I know we're the what happened the first time. I want to talk a bit more about the weird air hockey, but I guess we should go in order here. So first we have. Anthony and James passed Dave and Arena and, you know, Arena was upset like they just lost the whole show, even though they just, you know, lost a short foot race there. But basically, Anthony and James decide we're going to do the axe throwing. Was that a good idea? (laughs) They've done it before, I guess. And I think 
you have to kind of assume that Dave and Arena have done everything at this point. So it's just like, what is the thing that you're most comfortable doing? I think they weren't even thinking about what is the other team. Right. It's more like, well, we did this before with our swim teams, so we'll be comfortable there. We may have an advantage. And it turns out that as a fighter, Dave has a lot of upper body strength and impeccable hand-eye coordination. And we saw Arena get a five-point shot on her first throw, so she was no slouch either. Yeah, because you saw the other matches were like 13-12 or, you know, something like that. And they put up like 23, and they still had throws they didn't even need to make. And so when Dave is making what turned out to be a joke for him about... um how he had won this tournament and just kept talking about it and talking about it again, leading to the whole edit of being arrogant. And it was false. But before he said it, I was like, yep, it looks like he did win. He's very good at this. I mean, it's like, I guess you have that much confidence and strength. And like you said, if you're able to do boxing without normal protective gloves and somehow avoid getting hit in the face very much and win, your eye-hand coordination has to be off the charts, basically. Yeah, he's definitely excels in that arena but also this was also the most boston robbiest moment in the entire season like you could definitely see boston rob being like hey i i never won an axe throwing competition i can't believe these guys i can't believe they thought that yeah he, he you know it's like on survivor we had that idol clue and he's like sorry grant uh hey <laughs> I, I like how we're we're basically doing Rob's imitation of Boston Rob, and we're terrible at it. Yeah, it's funny because I was like, oh, I could do it that well. And I started doing it. I'm like, no, same. That's, a Hard way same. Of doing it. Yeah. But granted, he does the thing where he, he, for the camera afterwards, throws the clue over the cliff, basically winking at the camera like, you know, I should I'm great at this. And I made up a lie. It's like, I mean, of course. To me, again, it's one of those, it's so, it's a narrow thing where I think in one sense, I'm like, this adds some life to the show and some energy. In the other sense, I'm like, yeah, it's a little mean. So it's kind of both. But it's like mean in a fun way. It's not mean in a mean way. Yeah. I don't think the other team, when they found out, oh, he hadn't really done it, were like, oh, like, like they were hurt for life. He wasn't saying anything about them. Like, it wasn't like. He was just saying how great he was, not as much how bad they were, though during it, he seemed to be talking a lot of trash, but they they rolled through it. And hey, this is the second face off in a row where those two teams get their first. This time, Dave and Arena were successful. Um, wait, shoot. I think they were successful. Yeah, they were. Yeah, shoot. Um, both times, Dave and Arena have been successful at the face off against Anthony and James where they both were first, but they they're just racing with so much confidence right now, at least at this point where it is edit notwithstanding teams that have that kind of confidence are going to approach a task. Like he said, and think, well, I'll do it. I can do whatever. And that's something that I find interesting that we don't always see on the show teams with that level, especially on his end, that level of confidence that the, there's nothing they can really throw at him that he can't do. It's unusual. I think even on us amazing race to kind of, roll into everything headlong and just assume you're going to be good at it. And it could be confidence. It could be hubris. It might come back to bite them. We'll have to see. Yeah, I think I think we had that way. But I guess we can move on. Um, I wanted to mention then Lauren and Joanne show up and they fail at the axe throwing against Anthony James, who probably again, it was very close. It could have gone either way, but decide they want to do air hockey which they are not, not great at, <laughs> no, not great at, but there was, it was so weird because again, they only do the air hockey, like the ax throwing took a while. It seemed like it probably took 10 minutes or something. They only give them three minutes for the air hockey, which couldn't you just get up one, nothing and then just hold the puck for a while. Like just sit there. There has to be a rule against that. <laughs> but I mean, I saw Sarah and Sam kind of doing something similar. Like they were very careful with the puck and then they went and shot it. But I think there's probably like a shot clock, like in basketball. Yeah, that referee guy would come in and give him a pedal day or something. The guy in his ref outfit. But then I also noticed that when they played finally, we get to the end of this. Um, Sarah and Sam win. We get down there and Arthur and Thines show up. And it's really, again, pretty important. This could, I mean, it's enough where the teams were possibly close enough where this, like the other time when we saw the final face off earlier, could lead to the team getting eliminated or not. And Lauren and Joanne are down 2 nothing with like 15 seconds left and they score three goals. That was very strange to me. 
strange and also exciting. And how would we have known what was even going on if we didn't have John there to narrate it? <laughs> Thank you, John, for making it more exciting and really awkward. Yeah, it was it was really it's like every bar mitzvah I've ever gone to. So I don't know. I think anything else we need to talk about here with this um I wanted to see some table hockey. With my parents, we always had a table hockey in the basement and I'm this it wasn't exactly the same. These guys probably work a lot better than they than my parents ones now which are hard to use, but I wanted to see that too. I felt like that might have been fun and I'm sure we would have heard more from John at that point too. Maybe it's just the hockey ones that he announces. I have never played table hockey. In fact, I've only actually seen a table hockey table in person once in my life. Uh, someone was selling one at a yard sale when I was a teenager. And I thought it was the coolest thing. I'm, like, I'm going to figure out how to play this. And they wanted like 25 bucks for it. So I bought it and we stuck it in the trunk of my best friend's car. And then my mother found out that I had bought this table hockey table and she conspired with my best friend's parents to get rid of it. And I held a grudge for a very long time. I've never gotten to play table hockey as a result. And all I know about it is that it looks sort of like foosball, but for hockey. Yeah, it's one of those where it really helps to have like foosball to have multiple people, because if it's just one versus one, you do a lot of wait. Now, which guy is this? OK, I've got the goal. Oh, and then somebody scores. But that is a really sad story. Just that. Um, I don't know. It's going to be hard for me to continue just thinking about this because not only did you not get to play that table, you also didn't get to see it on the show. Thanks a lot. Amazing. Risk yeah, I was about to find out what table hockey is all about. And then they just rudely yanked out from under me. My happy face just turned into a sad face. <laughs> uh, yes, it, it's it's just awful. But shall we move on to cutting edge or cutting a wedge? Oh, that, that's one of the cuter detour names we've gotten in a while. And I think we got a lot of questions this week. People really want to know how we feel about this detour limit thing, because I feel like this might, much like the choose your own face off adventure, I feel like this might be the future of detours. Yeah, well, we've seen a decent amount of times this season where no teams, I'm sorry, beer drinking dancers or one team square dancers. I'm sorry. You said some pattern here with the dancing and things evolving dancing, but um, where they didn't get done. And I don't think the show is going to appreciate that because one, they're spending money on it. Two, it makes the episodes not as exciting like we talked about. So but here was very interesting. This is something I haven't really seen much. Most of the time with limited stations and maybe I'm forgetting something you'll have like three spots like in this case you have five teams so you, you have three that can be used at once so my thought would be okay dave and arena finished that would open it up where arthi and thinesh could then go in but no this was different this was three teams they call it said occupied but my thought is three teams either are participating or have finished that also would block you so the show really wanted to make sure this wasn't a situation where it they, because they were spread out, we still didn't have a lot of teams cutting the cheese, as people said. Well, the smart thing the show did in that case was make them both limited station detours. So you're not thinking that there's this artificial sense of scarcity created around it. Like, oh, well, if only three people at a time can do that one, that must be the cool one to do. Like, make them both limited and then people have to choose them on their own merits. Right. That's another thing. A lot of times it'll be oh, you can go paint at this spot. There's only three spots to paint, but the other one is harder. So there's as many as you want. <laughs> Where here, it was the same way. But I think teams still, four out of the five teams, I know three ended up doing it, chose the drones, possibly because it sounded more fun, maybe, or just like we've talked about, maybe they were just, it was the geography, or maybe they just really loved the source. I don't know. But you know, they love moose. Yes, they love finding finding moose around. But it's it was interesting that four of the five teams went that way. And it was only Lauren and Joanne who went a different direction. And I couldn't it wasn't easy to tell which one was faster. I think probably cutting edge was faster, um, even with mistakes. You can little mistakes because that's a lot of cheese to cut. And you did have to do multiple things. But it seemed like it was fairly close at least right i mean what did you think i think if arthi and tanesh had to do the drone task they might still be there <laughs> it's like the robots but much harder yeah it's basically it's it's the robots but flying <laughs> yeah so i mean we did have a situation a couple things people you know i don't know what was going on james was just kind of sitting there going like oh 
whoa, <laughs> I don't really understand what was happening. They cut to commercials and Anthony was like, whatever you're doing, we've got to stop this. And they switched. That was another difference, too. Like with the robots, you couldn't switch. They tried to make it harder. Here, they didn't do that. But I think they, because this was slightly harder than making a robot walk through a maze, I guess they figured they, you could only put so many restrictions on the teams. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that this is a show that's been on the air in various incarnations for 19 years. And in order to keep it fresh, you have to try some new ideas here. So I appreciate that they're putting little twists and tweaking it and experimenting with it. And if something works out really well, I think we're definitely going to see it on the U.S. version. Yeah, I think so, because you kind of see you even seen it with sort of with the face off, but also with things. Even I feel like the U.S. version has started added has started adding more root info tasks, not all the time, but you've seen sometimes where they add another task more frequently. And I think that is not a coincidence that Canada does that more and they've had really good luck with making a better show by having them do more stuff as we've talked about in the past. Yeah, not everything works, but you try it a couple of times. If it doesn't work, you don't do it again. Yeah. So and of course, this was a case where for a moment I thought we might be seeing Dave in arena hit a road like something that was a real problem with his um, G J mistake there. Not even really a mistake, more uh, just two of them kind of going the different direction there on that. But that was a minor issue and they still easily got first. But for the most part, um, it was, I didn't find the drone thing to be too bad. I don't think this is anything specific really to the area, but I thought at least it was interesting how they had to do it. At least it was kind of a visually mostly interesting task. I mean, they could do it in the parking lot in the studio in Toronto where they filmed the finale, but yeah, it was, it was okay to watch. I would have liked to have seen some more region specific tasks. Uh, Thunder Bay is supposed to be a really cool place to visit. And the city of Thunder Bay has apparently been lobbying very hard to be featured on the show. And I feel like if they were that adamant that they wanted to be a part of Amazing Race Canada, there would be tasks that highlighted the city a little bit more <laughs> than go to a glorified Chuck E. Cheese and then go out to a big empty field with a drone that you bought at Canadian Best Buy. Yeah, I mean, I guess they did go to the Terry Fox Memorial, but and they went to the falls at the pit stop were stunning yes but basically <laughs> the fact that they yeah they've been lobbying so hard and they're like and then amazing race goes to them and they're like what do we want to go and like well we got this place called wackies it's really <laughs> cool you know we really want you to go there um you know the, i think it's one of those cases yeah i mean if i just i'm gonna do my favorite thing which is look at wikipedia pages but basically they have a historical park that recreates a trading post i mean the amazing race canada does wonderful things with kind of weird historical moments like that that Western scene where teams had to be the bartenders. And I mean, there's just there's so much you can do there. And I know with the face off, you're trying to go to wackies. OK, make that that way. But maybe for the detour, because to me, watching teams cut cheese and then notwithstanding the, you know, you've got to cut the cheese <laughs> multiple times stuff, which, yes, I'm five years old. But basically, most of that was pretty boring, I will say. I mean, yes, there was drama because you had two teams fighting for last or fighting for fourth. But I just there's nothing from that that I can really think of that was that interesting. You know what we needed on that task? We needed John to narrate what was happening. <laughs> Lauren's getting upset. She's getting nervous. She can't find the right weight. <laughs> oh, she's at 225 again. <laughs> Yeah, Joanne's trying to help her out. She's trying to calm her down. Oh, I have to mention, though, that throughout this leg, Joanne had some amazing celebration dances, including one that was just, hey, we're not last, which I always appreciate when teams are so pumped to be third or fourth or whatever. But they just kept continuing. So the two of them. You know, they they did they, the biggest issue they had was at the face off. And then they, they did have some issues with the detour. I don't think it was probably as close as it maybe seemed on the show with a lot of editing near the end. It was probably a longer break, but I can only speculate. But I enjoy watching them and I, I hope they can somehow find their way into the finale because they're a lot of fun as a team. I think they're most likely going to go out next week, but I hope that I'm wrong. That would seem to be the trajectory we're looking at, because if we're looking at the story of Dave and Arena losing, we got to imagine they're in the finals and Lauren and Joanne just keep squeaking by. They had one great leg and a lot of 
we're not last dances. Like they, they've been polishing that dance is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So early on, they've just looked relieved. Now they're like getting, but it would be fun. I mean, I, I'm not giving it a 0% chance. They make the finals because early on, I thought, I thought the final three were going to include Arthur and Thinesh, So I could totally be wrong. I think you could have a situation where they they sneak by Anthony and James and are kind of the underdog team in the finals. But we've seen so much of Anthony and James. I still feel like I felt like they're going to be in the finals since like leg two. So we'll see. I know I'm jumping ahead to predictions, but I just um, I like that they made it, though, with nothing against Arthur and Thinesh, who I enjoyed this season. But um, and not just because of Team Dan. It's fun to see Lauren and Joanne go further. Yeah, agreed. But I think we do have to spend some time talking about what Arthi and Tanesh brought to this race because I really mostly enjoyed them as a team. And I think they were portrayed as kind of this fire and water sort of team where she had a lot of pent up emotion when she reacted to everything that was happening around her at the race. They turned out to surprise themselves, I think, with how strong they actually were. Agreed. And, you know, they even showed the montage at the end, like her swimming under the ice or some of the other things or them with they were with the clams. And that was the reason that I thought there was a good chance they were going to make the end is they seem to be able to get through almost anything. And it's not like they did so poorly this week. I mean, they they fell behind. And really, I mean, they struggled a bit with the stamping, but I think really if they had beaten Lauren and Joanne in the faceoff, there's a really good chance they probably would have gone on and, and been fourth. So it came down mostly to a game of air hockey, but I enjoyed watching them. And I also think this is different than a lot of times when we see this type of team, we will see a team where they, the team fights with each other, where like one of them is really fiery and the other one's laid back and then they fight. And that's not the case here at all. I, their relationship seems super strong. And though we didn't get a proposal that a lot of people were predicting at the end, I, they seem to have a really strong relationship. And, um, and they were a lot of fun to watch and were good racers, too. They're pretty young. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. I, I'm not, I think they're still in their 20s, for sure. Like I, wouldn't, I, I don't know the exact age, but if I had to guess, I would, you know, I think like in the 26, 27-ish range, I, would, I was thinking. But, um, you know, not, yeah, it's, I, I, when I mentioned the proposal, it was not in any way to be like, why didn't it happen? Actually, 25 and 28. So, yeah. So, basically, it's more just because there were some hints that the show was throwing yeah. out there that made me wonder. Yeah, I, I definitely hear that. But I, we're not rushing to the altar, Arthi and Tanesh. You're a great couple. We're rooting for you. When you're ready, make it happen. <laughs> yes. Take your time. But um, good job on the show. And, hey, they won three legs i believe won some trips you know seems like they um they've got a great future yeah it's looking good for them so dan you want to do some questions yeah let's do it um a lot of good questions this week i did want to mention something very quickly not to i don't want to over present it but we did have a really quick question about roadblocks which i only wanted to mention it because i did not look up every season of the amazing race canada but i did want to do a quick comparison to the last two last season there were 13 roadblocks that the final three teams did and the season before there were 11 thus far they've done eight so and this came from Derek was the question so my thought is they often do two roadblocks in the finals so we could still see 11 which would be the same as season five. So we're not like off the reservation here, but we are at least lesser than last season when they did 13 roadblocks and 11 legs, which basically means they did it every leg with one on each end probably. So we're back a little bit, but I don't think it's too crazy. I just thought that was interesting, but I haven't gone all the way back and I especially haven't gone through all the U S seasons, but in the recent past, it, um, it seems just a little bit less. Yeah, 11 legs, 11 roadblocks. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, 10 or 11 we're probably heading for here, depending on next week. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. All right, so now that I've done something so fascinating to talk about counting roadblocks, what other questions could we answer? All right. I liked this one from Owen Craig because this brings up a favorite moment of mine. Um, so Owen Craig wants to know, the G&J thing is a great reminder of the fact that Dave is Quebecois. Can you think of other examples in Amazing Race history when a contestant's cultural background has affected their performance in the race? I'm going to let you take this one because I think you it sounds like you've got a great moment to talk about. Um, yeah, my great moment is uh, season 14 of the U.S. version. Uh, Tammy and Victor were a brother and sister team who had some Chinese ancestry and 
it happened that they went to China that season and there was a roadblock that was a Mandarin language task where they had to take food orders and then repeat them back. And Mandarin being a tonal language, anybody that didn't have any experience with that, it was basically impossible. But Tammy and Victor just kind of rolled right in there like they were actually just having a conversation with people. They took the orders and it took them about 30 seconds to do it. So that's an example, I think, of a contestant's cultural background having a positive effect on their performance in the race. Yeah, that's a really good example. And yeah, I, f- I forget they were they were a good team and did well and had kind of an interesting relationship as as siblings. So that that's a fun callback. I sometimes forget that kind of middle teen seasons of the U.S., you know, that they sometimes roll together, but there was a lot of cool stuff on some of those seasons. Yeah, more cool stuff than you'd think. I, th- I feel like those might be worth a rewatch at some point in the near future. Like someday when we're in like a three year hiatus between Amazing Race seasons, we'll go back and do a rewatch of one of those seasons. Yeah. When, um, you know, Canada falls off or they don't do Australia or whatever else they're going to be doing in the future as things continue to expand. But you never know in the U.S. how many more they're going to do. OK, so um, let me see here. We A few of these we've already covered. There were some good questions about the face off, but I feel like we handled that pretty well. We had a lot of questions about John and the face-off because John was really extra. So do you think, here's a question on the similar note. We had some leg design questions, a few of them that I found interesting. Um, This is from Darkest, but do you think it was a mistake to have a face-off before a limited station detour? Now, I know this seems a little results-based to me, but do you think the team that Arthi and Thinesh had enough ability to come back after that face-off? Because we always talk about in the U.S., the head-to-heads right before the the Pit stop. Here we had a detour, but was that enough for them? I think it was enough because they theoretically had the option to do either one of the tasks. Um, they could have made it to either one in time. And I think the fact that they were both limited station, that was kind of key. And I think we've seen Amazing Race US do that before. I think season 27, they definitely had two limited station detours where both sides had a certain limit of... Yeah. <laughs> I believe season 27 had at least one detour where both sides of the detour had limited stations. And I think that it's it doesn't necessarily say that everybody that does detour A is going to finish ahead of everybody that does detour B. I think we've covered that. We thought it was pretty well balanced. So I don't think I think Arthi and Thinesh did not have a long enough penalty that it was long enough for every single other team or at least three other teams to realize, oh, there's one detour half that's way, way better and go do the way, way better one. So I think all things considered, it's really results-based to say that that wasn't enough. I Actually, I was happy that they had a task as big as a detour between them and the pit stop. Right. Sometimes they just have a roadblock, which roadblocks could take a long time. But this this seemed like, it. I mean, they didn't show that much, but I suspect that both tasks took hour plus each, I would guess. Yeah, they were not easy detours, that's for sure. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, but I really liked... I really liked this question from Caleb Jones. It was It's gotten me thinking all day long, so I appreciate that. He says, do you think they purposely designed the locations and modes of transportation so that it made the traveling seem longer and just as if they were going internationally because the geography of it all has been seemingly very out of order? I think so. I think that the show, like we've talked about how they've done the last two weeks, these long train rides, or even kind of the way that we've really kind of crisscrossed Canada not in a linear way, kind of back and forth. I think the point is, is that even though it still has to feel epic in some way, yes, you're not going to get to the end and have a case like we've seen with Phil, where he's like 50,000 miles, which we have not heard as much recently. I mean, they're not going to do something like that, but they do want to be a case where they can really have traveled some distance and the show benefits too, not just because of it seems longer. The show benefits because, like we've talked about, the racers get tired and the racers kind of get that look. I mean, we haven't seen anything dramatic, but little things even like you saw um, Arthi getting upset over not that much arena, getting upset over things or even just Sam, you know, looking like that guy really needs a nap. You know, those are things that can kind of lead to more interesting racing and drama and such that I think the show wants to have things like that, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think having the alternate modes of transportation gives a chance to inject some killer fatigue into a race that two thirds of this season 
has taken place in two provinces. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Yeah, we we need to go to the other coast over there. <laughs> when are we getting over there? But um, it's it is a case where if you're not going to leave Canada, I mean, it's it's going to you have you really got to work hard as race designers to make things seem unique. And I think going to Quebec, they did a really good job that way. It wasn't as much this time. That's but when if you don't. It's not a situation like if you're going to India or to somewhere, you know, further away, Thailand, whatever, you don't have to work as hard because sometimes just navigating and such, it's so different or to Africa or whatnot. They have to work harder. And that's why we've had a few legs. This one, I don't feel like was the worst example, but it had some tendencies of other legs that that were an issue, at least for me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, do we have any other questions we want to get to, Dan? Oh, I wanted to bring this up. I think I'm just curious. Uh, I think I know what this means. I mean, how they would do it. But Arjun Kishore. So this has to do with the fact the way the detours work. So what would happen if multiple teams wanted to change the tasks? So he says, for example, if Dave and Arena decided they wanted to go to the cheese task and arrive before the other teams, and so did Anthony and James, would other teams be allowed to do the drone task? So I think the idea is, if one of those first three didn't finish and went and decided, okay, I can't figure out the drones, I'm going to go to do cheese. Would that mean that task would not, would that task then be available to Arthi and Thinesh if that had happened? I have to imagine that it would. I think it's once a team has completed it, you can't go and take over the station that they have vacated. And I think like the example I would go to is in season 26, when they were in Africa, there were two detour options, one of which was limited stations. And one of the teams was a little bit further behind everybody else. And so the choices were like go on this elephant safari or feed a bunch of cut up meat to the dogs. And that was the limited station one. And so the team that was out and back got there and some teams had already fed the dogs and already left. So there were more dogs to feed. And I think in this case, we're saying that there are there's a finite number of hungry dogs in this analogy. And once the dogs are fed, you can't feed them again. But if they didn't finish feeding them, you could go back and feed them again. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking that essentially it's like one. I'm going to try not to just restate what you said. Essentially, three slots. When Dave and Arena leave, that does not open up a slot. There's just three slots. I mean, when they leave, if they finish, they don't finish, then it's open, like the hungry dogs. <laughs> it's right. really is an interesting analogy. And they have three at each one because you don't want to make one feel like it's better than the other one. But also the team in back has the option to switch if they need to. Right. You're never going to have a situation like if there were six teams and they did this, then you'd have a situation. It's almost like one team has like the equivalent of like a one way where they can only go one way. And in this case, it's not that way at all. Yeah. No, you are at least um, you have the illusion of choice, even if like the first three teams go and do one half of it. There's still a chance that, you know, you still have something to do. You're not like stuck at the very last slot. All right. Anything else we should cover? Um, I think we've covered everything really well. And again, we want to thank everybody that sends in questions because I think it really informs how we shape the conversation. Even if we don't answer your direct question, we really appreciate all the feedback we're getting. All right. Well, if, with that, then if we're finished with questions, we'll get right into housekeeping. Uh, the number one most frequently asked question we get here at the Amazing Race Canada wrap up is, how do I watch the Amazing Race Canada if I don't live in Canada? And I got to tell you, it's not easy. We manage every week by the skin of our teeth, mostly through the help of our friends, the patrons of Rob is a Podcast. Uh, you get a number of perks for supporting the podcast, including access to a secret patron-only Facebook group where you can connect with other fans, talk about all things reality TV, and usually links to view Amazing Race Canada are posted in the group shortly after each episode airs. And we want to give extra special thanks to the listeners who are really on top of that and go the extra mile to track down those links for us because we really appreciate that. Um, and if Canada would just lift their geo block, we wouldn't have to. I want to point out yet again, CTV, I've been to Canada three times since, since this show came on the air and it's all because of your show. Uh, I could be patronizing those advertisers. But no, I got to watch it illegally. Uh, anyway, if you like the show, I hope you've subscribed. You can find new episodes of this podcast in the Reality TV Rehap Ups feed 
or in the Rob as a Podcast Amazing Race feed. And we love getting feedback. There are many ways you can let us know how you like the podcast. You can leave us a review in the iTunes store. That helps us out, helps other people find the podcast. And you can find us on social media. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Haymaker Hattie. And I am at the Dan Heaton. I also do a podcast on theme parks called the Tomorrow Society Podcast. I just released an episode where I gave my reactions to the news from the D23 Expo, which is Disney's sort of Comic-Con. And they didn't really announce that much. But the things they did announce, I talked about for a good hour last week. And you can hear that and a lot more at TomorrowSociety.com. It's very good stuff, Dan. I was excited. And I am excited about the announcement that you can now sign up for D23 and get a discount on Disney+. Plus. Yes, we may or may not have done that recently. <laughs> Yeah, I may or may not be doing it myself. I want to give a shout out to everybody that engages with us on social media and elsewhere. Although I do want to point out something. I don't want to go on a tangent here, but I really want to encourage you if you're going to engage with us in the social media world or engage with your fellow Amazing Race Canada fans, please be kind and please understand the difference between a fact and an opinion. I think I don't enjoy this team is different from this team is terrible and shouldn't be on my television. Or I hate this season is different from this season is bad. And if you like it, you're wrong. Please be civil. Just be kind. It's okay to disagree. It doesn't mean the other person is wrong. These are opinions. This is how you feel. I appreciate your passion, but dial it back a little bit, guys. It's just a TV show. Uh, so that's our show. Don't forget to check out everything else that's happening in the Robins podcast universe. We got Big Brother coverage coming at you. We've also got International Survivor Seasons, tons of other shows. Mike Bloom and Josh Wiggler have launched a quite ambitious rewatch of Lost. It's not even the first rewatch of Lost that's happened on Post Show Recaps, but it is going gangbusters and people are really responding to it. So if that's something that interests you, that is a big bandwagon and you will have a lot of fun with that. I am writing occasional feature articles for primetimer.com, including most recently a breakdown of 15 of the most memorable moments from the MTV Video Music Awards. That was very fun to write. I got to write about one of my all-time favorite moments, uh, the performance that Prince did in 1991 with the pants with the strategic cutouts. So that's our show. I'd like to thank Dan Heaton, as always, for joining me on this incredible Canadian journey. Rob Sesternino for giving us the platform. Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes all the patrons of Rob Has a Podcast, and all of our listeners around the world. Take care, everyone. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>